0: turn with me in your Bible this evening, copy of the Word of God into the Gospel of John. Uh, Perhaps your Bible is maybe automatically opening there to John 1 nowadays, right? (laughs) We've been in John 1 now for a good few weeks, but this is our last sermon there, and we'll start moving on uh, with some other texts. We've been in a series of sermons on the doctrine of adoption, our spiritual adoption in the Lord being legally declared as uh, those who are now made members of God's family, Uh, all of the uh, wonders of that, privileges of that, all of the responsibilities of that as well. Uh, The Lord makes us his children. We're in John chapter 1, here beginning at verse 11 once again, and we'll read on down through verse 14. We've read these words before, uh, but indeed, uh, give your heart, may your ears be open, and uh, certainly the Lord uh, this is his word as we come underneath his word and give our attention to it. This is Gospel, the Gospel of John. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Ask his presence to be with us. Father, we do pray that you would give us an eagerness about your word tonight for discovery, for learning, for challenge. Uh, Lord, uh, you are our teacher. and So come and Instruct us, illumine us, we pray. And grant us, Father, with uh, the number of folks uh, this evening here, Lord, in any group, any size, it's only you who can minister to our needs. It's only you, Lord, who can take your word and bring that application, exactly what we need uh, in that moment, in the particular situation that we find ourselves. Lord, you're the one to kindle faith. You're the one to kindle repentance. And so may we be a believing people tonight as we come to your word. Teach us and instruct us. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you'll remember probably a good, you know, four or five weeks ago, six weeks ago when we were talking about different ways that John, the gospel writer, will introduce his gospel. Uh, We reflected a little bit on this, but I'd like to drive it home just a little bit more just in terms of how he is unique In introducing the gospel, you know, the first 18 verses are routinely called the prologue, the first words, the words in front, the words before the first 18 verses. Uh, John does not begin this opening here, these 18 verses in his introduction to the gospel. He doesn't begin with the commentary on the social or the political scene or the historical landscape. Uh, Remember, Luke, uh, he desires to root us in history. So, Luke will have words recorded for us about the circumstances of the scene in Jerusalem, uh, the temple activity in Jerusalem as well. Uh, Luke is concerned about this decree. Remember that? The decree that's to go out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken. That's Luke. And then Mark's gospel. Uh, Mark is concerned about preparing the way for the royal one, the king. And that's why you have just right away in the Gospel of Mark those words about one who's going to be sent as a messenger before the Lord's face, who will prepare the Lord's way, one crying in the wilderness and to prepare the way of the Lord. That's the Gospel of Mark. The king is coming, and that's what Jesus says. He comes preaching. The gospel of the kingdom. Matthew has a family tree. Remember that, right? Matthew has a family tree. He's he's going back looking at the DNA of the physical descent of Jesus. And so he'll, he'll move us on back through Joseph himself, down through David, and the descendants there related to David, Jesse and Obed back to Jacob in those early days in Egypt, back even to Isaac, finally reaching back to Abraham. But John is not doing this at all, you see. He is concerned with glory. And that was last week's sermon. He's emphasizing the glory of God. Someone has said that the prologue is a little bit like an overture to an opera. Sometimes... It's that opening overture that there'll be some major themes in an opera that will be recounted because those themes are going to surface once again in the storyline of uh, the opera. And you might get some little snippets of what's going to come. And that's why you have these lessons in John's prologue about light and life and glory, (laughs) Because John is going to bring these issues up later on in his gospel. We emphasized last Sunday this word glory. It speaks of weight. It speaks of prominence, significance, awe, greatness. Glory is closely related to brilliance and splendor. That's why we quoted that one verse. Even we sang that verse tonight, immortal, invisible, God only wise. That's to say, our God is the one who dwells in unapproachable light and unapproachable splendor. These are all words related to the theme or the topic in the Bible of glory. So, why is this important to the doctrine of adoption? Well, this glorious one, the Lord Jesus Christ, takes up humanity. And through the fullness, uh, though though he has that fullness of glory... It is veiled. It's covered up. That glory is covered up. But here he is, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told here in verse 14, he became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. He enters this world to bring us to God, to bring us to God who is exalted, to bring us to God who is high above us. You know, He dwells in the heavens, and the earth is his footstool. Isaiah chapter 66, this is our great God who dwells in glory. Well, Jesus comes and brings heaven to earth, brings this glory uh, down to earth itself. Now, do you remember what Paul says, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, what he says about life change? Life change is nothing puny. Life change is not second rate. Uh, Biblical... Heavenly, Christian based life change is going from glory to glory. That's our theme here tonight, still. Life change in Christ is going from glory to glory. Remember that p- passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. It's life change. But we're being transformed in that same image, to His image, from one degree of glory to another. And so how do we enter in to this life of walking with the king in all of his glory? How do we experience more and more in our lives moving from glory to glory? Three lessons here in our passage tonight. Three lessons. First, provision. That's verse 14. Then we're going to look at the, the theme or the topic of Passivity. How do we enter into this glory? It's God's work. We're passive. Those verses there in 12 and 13. Then we'll step back once again and look at our purpose. What is our purpose in light of walking with the glorious one who he is? So how do we grow moving from glory to glory? How do we grow in life change in Christ? How do we grow remembering God's provision? Look at verse 14 once again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. Jesus left the glories of heaven, united himself with us. He came down, born of Mary, spotless and undefiled, sinless and completely holy and glorious. There will never be a time when the Son of God will not be a man. He came to earth, born of the woman. To take on human flesh. He is now forever united fully deity, full deity and full humanity in one person forever, forever, forever. The Lord of creation, the maker of heaven and earth. He comes as the place of heaven. He's the place of heaven. Sent down to earth. The heavenly becomes earthly. heaven is localized. Heaven is embodied. Again, verse 14, He became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, why? Why stress this particular fact? Yes, the incarnation. But why stress the incarnation, the enfleshment of the second person of the Trinity? Why stress it in connection with the doctrine of adoption? Why stress it here that this is God's provision for us? Jesus is the Lord's provision for us in terms of the doctrine of adoption, in terms of life change, growing from glory to glory, being made more and more after the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is more fundamental? Think of it this way. What is more fundamental than to know that we have confidence before the Father of glory? Sons and daughters of the king one of the areas that easily trips us up is we wrestle, do we really have access to the God of glory? Do we really have that heavenly open door to us? You see, when Jesus came to earth incarnate, this language of him being enfleshed and to dwell with us is that language of the pitching of the tent. That's the language there behind that word. Jesus came and he was pitched as the tent of God. And that's that echo. Remember, that's that echo back in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers where God is moving with his people from location to location. The heavenly glory and the heavenly presence of our great God is is mobile in that sense it moves from place to place to place to place and this is exactly the heavenly tent of who Jesus is he comes to indeed be that localization that place that locale of meeting with God to be in Christ to fellowship with him to be a follower with Christ to be in Christ is to have that complete access, that complete confidence, complete openness, complete approachability. You see what John is doing here? When John goes about painting the glory of God, he probably has in mind, well, who could ever approach this glory? Who could ever be worthy to be in his presence? Earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. Uh, Who is this King of glory? Who can stand upon the holy hill? That's the language, that's the thought here behind this. John is bringing together the glory of the eternality of God, now being enfleshed in Jesus, in the second person of the Trinity, brought near to us, and for us as sons and daughters, this provision. John is saying, your deepest need, your greatest concern, your most grave situation, the most solemn matter upon your heart and mind, the most heartfelt need is that you are able to be with God in all of his glory. For Jesus is the one who tabernacled among us. God delivered his people from Egypt and he spends Exodus, much of and." and, And and much of the whole story of the the wilderness wanderings where he's spending time building this tent, it's that movable place going from place place to place to place to place to place to be with his people. To be approached, to have a way, to have access, to have confidence and liberty. And John is saying, our God is with us. His glory is brought up close to men and women. And you see, closeness Requires cleanliness. The sacred. Requires sainthood. (laughs) Those who are in the Lord. To be saints in Christ Jesus. Holiness requires holiness. And that's the emphasis here. Our God comes to dwell. He's heavenly. He's approachable. But he's calling us to faith in Christ and to trust him and to have that access and to have that closeness in the Lord. This is a provision for us. Number two, passivity. Look at verses 12 and 13 here, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become a children of God who were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. I want to stress tonight, which we haven't done yet in this particular passage, about our passivity. The Bible plainly says here that to enter into this relationship with God, to be able to approach this glorious one, it says at the end of verse 13, this is the Lord's doing to bring about this new birth. Verse 13, who were born, and then go to the very end of the verse, who were born of God. One of the sermons, we looked at all those knots just briefly saying it's, it's, it's not of blood. It's not of the will of the flesh. It's not of the will of man, but it's of God. And that's our emphasis here tonight. To approach this glorious one is his working. <laughs> we are born of God. He will bring his elect children to faith. He will bring his elect children to repentance. And and he'll use the means of the preaching of the word, the testimony of the gospel, uh, the portions of of the word of God mixed in with a testimony, some form of preaching and teaching and explanation, some point of instruction. Isaiah 55 tells us, That this is God's sovereign way of accomplishing His plans. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bear and sprout, furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire. This preaching of the gospel, this explanation, this instruction of the gospel, is the Lord's external call and He is is working, He is working with the preaching, He is working with the teaching and God then couples that external call, He'll couple it with the internal call according to His grace and that effectual working of the Holy Spirit are those born of God, born of God, His working and He brings them to salvation. Think of the story of Lydia, Acts chapter 16, the story of Lydia. Great example here. Remember the story. There's a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a cell of purple fabrics. She's a worshiper of God, and she was what? Listening. And the Lord, it says, opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Salvation is of the Lord. He opens her heart. Uh, The reason that she responded is because the Lord is working with the word. It's that sovereign, that superintending. He's the one tending to his word. It's being sown. And he brings the harvest and that growth. And and he brings salvation to Lydia. It says she opened, uh, he opened her heart. See, God granted Lydia a receptive heart. God granted Lydia that spiritual understanding. Spiritual things are appraised, right, by the Spirit. They're spiritually discerned. And so he gave her the gift of faith. He gave her the gift of illumination. He gave her the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the Lord's doing. Now, once again, why stress this matter with the, with the, with the teaching of adoption? Why stress this matter with the glory of God? Because our God is the God who's always working. He's always tending to his word. He's always tending to its instruction. He's always tending to phrases and portions of the gospel that are going forward. The Bible tells us that. Isaiah chapter 55, just as the rain comes down from heaven to water the earth, giving out the sprouting of vegetation, so that the one that's sowing and the one that's going to eat and harvesting will be provided for. This is the Lord's doing. His word will not return void. So daughter of the king, son of the most high God. God is always working with his word. And fundamentally, we, give it, we, we find its, its location of this kind of work in the work of regeneration. Just as God is the midwife to give birth. Just as God is the one who calls, just as God who is effectually working with that call, we are the ones altogether passive. He works on the heart so that that heart is made ready to receive. That heart is then made willing to reach and to receive. But the point that we we look here is that God is the one bringing about the birth, and God is the one who is working. Remember remember uh, Lydia here. She responds because the Lord opened her heart. It was God's gracious pursuing work. He becomes the midwife, the attending physician, and he brings about the birth of the new creation. He is the one who saves. Tonight, have you acted on the offer of grace, the offer of the gospel? Jesus Christ here is being presented in his word, John chapter 1. He's the one full of grace and truth. He's the one altogether glorious. He's the one who came from heaven to earth. And as we've said, the sacred, the heavenly is summoning now to turn from our sins and to place our faith in Christ. Have you acted on the free offer of the gospel? Have you acted in faith? You might remember this even as you're talking to your neighbors, your friends, maybe your own heart tonight. Faith, the letter F, forsaking. The letter A, all. The letter I, I. The letter T, trust. The letter H, him. Faith, forsaking all. I trust him. (laughs) I've mentioned to you that when Peggy, we were in high school at the time, when she is the one I'd been reared in the church, but had not come to that place of saving faith in Christ. She's the one who really emphasized to me the place of the gift of faith. (laughs) I did not know. That the, that the ruin of man's sinful, of man's nature, being lost in sin, is a summons then that you cannot trust in yourself. <laughs> you must place your trust in Christ. And that particular emphasis for me, in my later teens, uh, from my wife back then, uh, a gal that I was getting to know, but um, opened up my eyes. Jesus Christ opened my eyes to forsake all, to trust him. Faith, faith in the gospel. This is God's working. Indeed, we are passive. He is altogether active, altogether working to bring us to faith. Our last lesson tonight is on purpose. Don't ever forget the context when we're talking about adoption here from the gospel of John. Verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Interesting. Interesting. When John the Gospel writer is going to go right into talking about being born of God, that those are there, there there are many who did receive Him, and to those who received Him and believed on His name, He gave them the right and the authority to become children of God. Then he goes into saying it's not of the will of the flesh, not the will of man, not of blood, but it's of God. In that same context, he brings to our minds that there is a mission in this dark world. Christ himself came into the world. The the world was made through him, and yet the world did not receive him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Why bring that up here in this particular context, even talking about adoption again tonight? Because Christ's mission is that he is about working in this dark world. Don't lose hope. Don't lose sight of your mission, Good Shepherd Church. He's always at work, always using his word. That is to say, as we are about using the word in, 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 in gospel words, using the word to teach, using the word to encourage someone else, using the word in opening the Bible to them and praying with them over that scripture, in using the word, don't ever say to yourself, well, this world is so dark, so forsaken, so lost that God is never at work. That's not what the passage is saying here. He came to his own, his own people did not receive him. But as many as who did receive him, he's at work. Once again, John is emphasizing purpose. You see, this is God's very territory. When things seem so dark, when things seem so hopeless, when when we're seeing little fruit about gospel work and presenting Christ to others, John is reminding us, there is hope. Though there be many who do not receive him, who do not believe upon his name, he is at work. I like what one author says here, the mission of the church, the mission of the church in this world is not a tragic one of defeat. Rather, it is a glorious conquest. I think this might be from R.B. Kuyper. I'm not real sure. The mission of the church in this world is not a tragic one of defeat. Rather, it's a glorious conquest which God will use to achieve his goal of worldwide redemption. That's to say, those from every nation, the nations, will be brought before the throne. It's a glorious conquest which God will use to achieve his goal. But at the same time, we must also confess that this this victory comes only from God's grace. And it comes in his timing. And by his sovereign choice, our calling is to fight the good fight. But before that, to believe that the battle is the Lord's. Boy, does Mark Sumter need to hear that verse, hear that theme, right? (laughs) Mark needs to hear that. Mark, are you trusting Christ that this battle, the battle that the gospel is going forward in Fort Bend County, The gospel is going forward throughout the city of Houston, that the battle is the Lord's. Our calling is to fight the good fight, but before that, to believe that the battle is the Lord's. We must confess that this victory is of God's grace. It comes from his timing, comes from his timing, and it comes by his sovereign choice, his sovereign good pleasure. This reminds me of my purpose once again. Lord, you're at work in the midst of the darkness. You're at work in the midst of the battle. You're at work using your word, and you will call out your people. May we be busy. May we be prayerful. May we be about presenting Christ to those in need. Because in Christ, that is our hope of service. Again, we're wanting to grow. From glory to glory, grow in life change, grow in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And these are those places in Scripture, like in John's opening words here. We're going to move on. We're probably going to go to Romans next, do some work in Romans. Um, But John is bringing this emphasis to us about God's family being born from above. And he introduces in such a way that we are caught up with the glory of God. We are a privileged people. What a blessing that we get to serve the glorious king of heaven and earth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, would you show us how we might be in your service in this new week? people around us, those needing encouragement from your word, those needing a word of instruction. Perhaps, Lord, they're troubled in some area. Maybe altogether headstrong and defiant, Lord, may we bring a word of instruction that would guide them, correct them, teach them. Father, in all things, uh, may it be that we show this fundamental doctrine that Jesus Christ came into the world. He is the one who is the tent himself, the tent of God. Heaven brought down to earth that we might be sons and daughters and have access. Lord, may that be. May we have a testimony this week that speaks of that liberty and freedom that that the children of God know. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your wonderful working Our hope and our trust is in you, and we ask in Christ's name. Amen.